Now, back in middle school, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced anything like this. And I know that uh, maybe the school system was different when you grew up. So when I grew up, we had elementary school, which was uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Then middle school was sixth grade through eighth grade. Then you moved into high school. Well, when I was in middle school in my seventh grade year, I had my PE class and then directly into lunch. Well, after lunch, I went straight into the one class that I just didn't really fit into, and that was literature. Now, after running around for an hour, then eating lunch, they send me into this class that I'm just really not interested in, and I always had one problem, one issue with that whole class, and that was staying awake. I mean, you know, I'm tired. I just ate, and this one particular day, I go into the class, and I start dozing off. And the teacher comes by, and she kind of raps on the table right in front of me because, of course, I'm sitting on the front row. So that woke me up just a little bit and then started dozing off again. She come by and said, we need to stay awake. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she went on about giving her lecture. And then I watched as she walked over to her desk, and she picked up a magazine and started rolling up said magazine like this. And then carried it around with her while she continued her lecture. And I found in that moment of time the best two minutes of sleep I ever had. I mean, I was so rested, but it was shocking when I heard, wake up. It scared me because that's exactly what she did right beside my face. And I was just wide awake for the rest of the class. But isn't it amazing how something shocking gets the blood circulating and helps us to, to refocus on what it is that we're supposed to be taking care of that moment of time. Sometimes it takes that little extra force or motivation, as we call it, to keep us moving forward. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, Do not be associated with them. For once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you again today and thank you for all your blessings. And Father, I ask that you be with me on this day as we move into the uh, sermon portion of the service. I ask that you... Empty me of desires to speak my own will. Empty me of any desire to to impact the congregation in a way that wouldn't be pleasing to you. But fill me with your spirit, Father God. And let me have words of wisdom and words of choice that would benefit all of us gathered here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When Paul wrote this letter to the people in Ephesians, one thing that we want to point out is some of the context that we got to before this particular part of the passage. 
Paul is not addressing the Ephesians themselves, the Gentiles. He's not talking about the, the government system. He's not talking about people outside of the church. He is addressing the church itself and their behavior. Because the church was early in, in, in its life back in Paul's days. And there wasn't a lot of spiritual development at the time. So he was trying to educate the people on what Christian living is supposed to look like. Now, when he talks about things being done in darkness, he's talking about some things that we consider in this day pretty vile. And he's saying to the people that, that I understand that you live in a community where all these things take place. And chances are some of these people who are not yet Christians are your friends. But you have to make decisions about how you're going to interact with these people. You see, how many people in here has ever heard that, that, that Jesus ran with the sinners? And they use that statement as an excuse to carry on their behavior and to carry on with the group of people that they run with. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus did not run with the sinners. He ate with the sinners. He spoke to the sinners. And he healed the sinners. But his intent with doing all this was not to be one of the guys. His intent was to convert them to Christianity and put them on a different path. The tax collector. He sat at the table with him and his friends, and the Pharisees judged him for doing so. But what he was doing was converting. And one of those people in that room left and came and followed Jesus. He wasn't trying to be one of the guys. He was making converts. That was his purpose for being there. Even the early disciples, when he walked by the boats, he said, hey, y'all come follow me. And they left everything behind for the purpose of following Jesus. Jesus. You see, the difference is, is, is this. Jesus, again, was not trying to be one of the guys. He was being a leader. He didn't hang out with the sinners when he called, the sinners followed him. And that's what we want to experience in our life. When, when Jesus addresses the sin in our life, whether through the word of God or, or through a friend or through the Holy Spirit itself, his desire is for this to happen, that we hear what is being said and that we make the appropriate changes in our life to become more godly. You see, we live in a society that, society today where everything is just accepted. The Word of God is, is cast away as, as something that, that really shouldn't be in our society. It's mocked and it's ridiculed from the lowest person on the street to the highest point which some deem to be Hollywood, California. The word of God has not changed in all these years, and it is not going to change. The nature of God has not changed in all these years, and it is not going to change. Scripture is clear. Peter said it himself that, that we as a people are to strive to be holy for no other reason than the fact that God himself is holy. God is the one that we are to imitate in all aspects of our life. But sometimes it's, it's hard for us to, to focus on what it is that, that God is saying to us. Sometimes we, we hear it, but we don't hear it. Does that make any sense? Have you ever had an experience in your life when maybe when you were younger, when mom and dad was trying to, to give you instruction on how you should live, and they find one specific thing in your life, and they know that, that you're going down a path that's going to lead to some type of destruction, and they give you that word of hope or that word of inspiration that, that kind of 
should move us off the path that we're on and help us to focus on righteousness. I can give you an example. My mom would tell me, Tommy, I know that, that this group of people over here are one of the only groups of people that are in our neighborhood because we, we grew up on a dirt road. And there was not a lot of people around us. So if I wanted to run with somebody, I had to run with this group over here. And she would tell me things about them, not that they were people lacking value, but, but they made bad choices in life. And she said that if you keep running around with them, you're going to start making the same choices that they're making because that outside force, that outside influence is going to impact the way you make choices about life and culture and society and even your relationship with God. And I didn't hear it the first time around. I heard it, but you know how it goes. It goes in this ear and then right out the other one. You're going on down the road about your business. And, and one thing that happens is you start getting into a little bit of trouble. The first time, it wasn't something you did. It was something they did. But truth is, in, that in the reality of our world, is you are guilty by association. From policing days, if I stopped a car and the driver had marijuana in his car in a compartment in between the driver and the passenger, Guess who went to jail? Both of them did. Because we couldn't determine which one actually owned it, but technically they were both in possession of it. And it's very possible that the person sitting in the passenger seat had no idea that it was even there. But you choose who you run with. And the circumstances that they bring into your life impact what happens to you. So if we're going to be imitators of God, how do we get around that? Because we're called to love, we're called to respect, and, and we're called to, to live in the communities. We don't isolate ourselves from the people. Well, we do that by this. First and foremost, we decide who is most important to us. And if we decide that, that God is most important to us, then it has to be more than lip service. It has to be more than, than just saying, God, yes, I love you, and, and, and I want to do good things for you. And God, I, I pray, and I show, go to church, and, and I pay my tithes. It takes more than that to show God our love for him. His desire is that we become more like him, and that is a slow process. And it's not one that, that I have completely fulfilled. But I have to look to the Word of God and, and see what God speaks to me about His revelation to us as a people about who He is. Things like He is the creator of all things, heaven, earth, and humanity, and accept that. Things like following His commands to love one another and look out for one another. And things like finding myself in the passages of Scripture and seeing how it is that God works in our lives. Now, I'm going to throw something out to you. This is not a thought of my own. As I saw somebody online saying this one time a few months ago, and I thought it was pretty funny, at least the way he presented it. He's more charismatic than I am. But he said, have you ever thought about yourself when you're reading the Bible? And the way that you perceive yourself when reading it. If you're like most people, when you're reading the Bible and, and you see yourself in it, you're going to see one of two things. That either you're the victim or you're the hero. Meaning that you're in the Word because something is uncomfortable in your life and you want to know how to fix it. So you're the victim. Somebody else did something and I want to know how to feel better, how to get beyond. 
So as the victim, I'm looking for the answer. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we're the hero. I'll do that. I associate myself a lot of times with Elijah, one of the pastors in, in uh, Augusta. Actually, her name is Carolyn Moore. She's uh, part of the group that started the Global Methodist Church. Met up with her one time, and I was a little wilder in my preaching days back then. I just had come out of policing, and she said to me, said, you remind me of Elijah. Yeah, you'll say whatever, do whatever, and you don't care. So I was the hero. But the thing we overlook sometimes, and it's a reality that we all have to, to accept in order to find balance in our Christian life, is that, that sometimes we're not the victim and sometimes we're not the hero. Sometimes we are the villain. Sometimes it is we as a people who have hurt others around us instead of lifting them up. If you're married, then you know what I'm talking about because not a single one of us has ever been in a relationship where we haven't said something or done something to hurt our spouse. And when we do things like that, whether it's in a context of a relationship or, or some of our behavior outside of the home or the church, we have to go to the Word of God because we want to. We want to be more like God. We want to, to grow in His image. Then we have to go to the Word of God and look at it, not as the victim and not as the hero, but address the reality of who we are so that we as a people can become more godly. That is what we call discipline. We are choosing how we as a people will live. You see, Paul says that once you were in darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. So walk as children of light. Now, everyone had a salvation experience unique to them. Whether you were young and you heard Jesus calling, or whether something tragic happened in your life. Regardless, you came out of darkness. See, the darkness came into our lives when sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. And it was that sin that, that separated man from God. But it was Christ Jesus sacrificed on the cross when he shed his blood and, and he took upon himself the, the sin of humanity. And, and I want you to think about that for just a moment. The amount of love that he had for us was so great that, that he took upon on himself in that moment of time the pain and the guilt and the confusion and the doubt and the sorrow of every person that ever lived before him, that lived in his day and lived in the future he took upon himself that we can be reconciled back to God. And if not for that, we should want to, to love God in our conduct and in our behavior. We would want to, to look to the word of God and, and think to ourselves and think about him. How can I grow today to, to be more like him? Do I love my neighbor? Do I live with integrity? And do I treat people with dignity? On April 4th, 1742, Charles Wesley, not John Wesley, but, but Charles Wesley, entered St. Mary's Church at the University of Oxford in England. 
Charles, as we know, was, was not the greatest preacher. He was a great songwriter, but, but he wasn't the greatest preacher. As a matter of fact, at the time that Charles entered that church, his brother John was in another area, and he had called a group of people together and began praying and writing and talking about Charles. And it was pointed out that John said, you know, concerning himself, he's all about connection, meaning that he likes to take a word and, and tear it apart and find out how it, it connects to a person to give people understanding of, of the context of everything that was happening. But Charles wasn't like that. Charles was straightforward, to the point, short sentences. And he came in to the University of Oxford this particular day to preach to all the graduates that attended there and to the alumni, the people who were doctorates and masters, the people who were educated of their time, people who thought of during that day as being the godly and the educated of Christ. But Charles came up and he began to speak a sermon that says, Waketh thou that sleepeth. And he was harsh, very harsh and straightforward in the words that he used. When I read that sermon, I think to myself, what good could any of that done? Because he makes statements like this, that, that those of you who are gathered here today, I address you because of your outwardly sin. He would yell out to them. It's time to, to wake up from the dead and rise and live the life that Christ put out there for you. And he would say, Lord, I pray that, that you will come into their lives and shine a light into their prison. And the whole time he was preaching, he was being mocked. The people were hissing at him and booing, but, but he finished his sermon. He, he went right on saying what, he, what it was that he had to say. And afterwards, the dean of the college brought him into the office and addressed his sermon. And Charles Wesley had this to say, that the dean of the college denied the doctrine of salvation by justification, meaning that he was dependent upon good works for him and his colleagues to enter into heaven. And we know that that's not the case, that God came into our lives, that, that he sent Christ Jesus to, to be the Lamb of God, to, to be the sacrifice for all. So that when we hear God's call to salvation, we receive it as the precious gift that it is. The scripture says this, that we as people are saved by grace and grace alone that no man shall boast. And maybe that's what some of us do sometimes is that we think that, that our good works are what's going to get us into heaven, that we think that, that our good works are, are what's going to impact our lives, and that our good works is enough to change the world in which we live in. Now, make no mistake, good works has its place, but, but not a single one of us will ever be good enough to enter through the gates of heaven. Only for the blood of Jesus and the grace of God do we make that transition? 
And I think sometimes that, that if we spend more of our time looking within, as John Wesley said, then we will find more of ourselves in the written word of God. And that Jesus will come into our life and shine his light of love upon us. You see, I think that that's the point in time when we actually wake up, when we experience that transition for ourselves spiritually. Sometimes I think it's like this. Have you ever had a dream that really captivated you at night? And you thought it was, was real and, and it was exciting. And, and when you woke up, you had great difficulty determining which was real, the dream that you were having or the world that you live in. Kind of foggy and kind of hazy. And sometimes we want to go back to that dream and say, no, it was what's real because it was what's feeling good at the moment. But we come to the point when we have to realize that it was just a dream and that we should grasp the reality of the real world that we are in. And I think sometimes when we're dealing with our own sin, it's much like coming out of a dream. That I can tell you today what it's going to be like if you were to change your ways in a particular area. But until you get to that, that point where you're ready and to hear and ready to receive. It's just like a child listening to their parents. It tends to go in one ear and out the other until it becomes a tragic event. And then when that tragedy happens, what we hear or what we say sometimes is this, why didn't anyone tell me? But when we look back on life, we find that God put many prophets in our path along the way that tried to tell us. We just didn't hear and when we begin to experience that reality, there's that, that foggy haze as if we're just waking up from a dream where we are forced to make the decision. Is the hope that I was living in fantasy? Or was it the reality of what life really is? Because you see, sin, all sin, in your life and in mine, has the same effect. It tends to take the truth and twist it till we start recognizing it as part of our own. It takes the, the truth and turns it into the lie to the point that we start believing it to be the truth. But when the truth reveals itself to be the lie that it is, it brings that wakening a moment as if a teacher was slapping a magazine on, on a hard surface or as if Charles Wesley was in your face screaming, Awakest thou that sleepest, rise and walk in the glory of God. So I challenge you today to, to accept this challenge with me. That before life gets out of control in a particular area of our lives, 
before we get to that point where, where we have to have a tragedy occur to wake us up. Let's listen to the voices around us and receive the Word of God as it changes our life for the better that we as a people will be blessed in all that God does. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today and we thank you again for this opportunity uh, to bring us together. And Father, we just ask that you continue to be with us throughout the rest of this day. And Father, we ask that you be with our district superintendent as he continues to make his way here. Uh, Keep him safe in his travels and keep us safe in our travels as we prepare to to go out into the world. Help us to be empowered to to notice the things in our life that, that we need to change in order to experience the blessings that you have for us so that we live life to the fullest. Father God, be with us as we move forward to make decisions concerning our lives and our futures and the lives and futures of many around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me out there? Oh, there it is. Okay. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm gonna lay down my burdens, Lord. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside. Ain't gonna study war no more. 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 I'm gonna try on my long white robe down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. I'm gonna try on my long white robe. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside. Ain't gonna study war no more. 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 First plan for the uh, district superintendent had he made it to church here. I rewrote this last verse. I'm gonna get myself to church on time. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. I'm gonna get myself to church on time. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. 
Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Nick has a verse in Dutch. En ik heb je voor het eerst ontmoet. Daarbij die waterkant. Daarbij de waterkant. Daarbij die waterkant. En ik heb je voor het eerst ontmoet. Daarbij die waterkant. Daarbij die waterkant. Ain't gonna study war no more. 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 Ain't gonna study war no May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.